Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia, and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Meg Durham and I'm pleased to be in your ears today. Do you find yourself working harder and harder and yet you feel like you're making no progress? Do you love what you do, but you don't have the energy to keep doing it? You're not alone. Today's guest, Sophie Scott, is going to share with us how to prevent and manage burnout, reduce stress, and prioritize our health. In addition to a long career as an award-winning medical TV journalist for the ABC, Sophie is a professional speaker and educator with expertise in mental health. Sophie has an extensive presence on social media, has been invited to speak at the World Congress on Positive Psychology, written two books, Live a Longer Life and Road Testing Happiness, and has won major awards for her journalism and medical reporting. Sophie is on a mission to help people help themselves using evidence-based science and her own personal journey. Sophie is a highly sought-after MC and speaker on the topics such as preventing burnout, managing your mental well-being during times of change, and the science of high performance. Her talks and workshops help people to take better care of their mental health through science-backed techniques so they can build emotional resilience, maximise their potential and thrive at work and at home. In this conversation, we discuss why we struggle to prioritise our health, the importance of small actions, how our wellbeing impacts others and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sophie Scott. Sophie, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Meg. Today, we're going to be talking about practical and evidence-based ways to rebuild our health. When did you have an aha moment that you needed to prioritise your health? Yeah, I'd been working really hard as a journalist and I'd been hosting health-related events on top of that, so almost sort of working two jobs, which I loved doing both those things. But what happened to me was I was actually asked to host an event to honour healthcare workers. And so it was a black tie event that I was emceeing and I was dressed in the sparkly dress and the high heels and feeling really good. And then I went up to to stand up at the podium and just was hit with these waves of dizziness out of nowhere. And I was really like taken aback thinking, what the hell is going on? And when I went to speak to my doctors, we looked at that symptom and then some other ones that I'd been going through, like, you know, increased number of migraine days and feeling really anxious for no reason. And when we put all these things together and ruled out anything more serious and looked at the way I was working and living, number one thing that came up was burnout. And so for me, having these symptoms that, you know, were really impacting my quality of life was a real wake up call for me that I couldn't just ignore what I was going through and I couldn't just keep working at the same pace because it was just having a really detrimental effect on my physical health. And I think that's 
One thing that's important when it comes to burnout is people think that, oh, you can only get burnt out if you've got a crappy job or a crappy boss. But I think that become burnt out, even if you have a, a really fulfilling job that you really love. And, you know, Meg, we know that the rates of burnout are really high in healthcare workers, in teachers, in professions where they're really seen as caring professions. And in a lot of those cases, it's a very fulfilling job as well. So almost, you know, people who really love their jobs and give a lot to that work are really prone to burnout. And that includes teachers as well. I love that you highlight that it's not just a crappy job or feeling overwhelmed with too much to do. You can almost have these feelings when you love your job. You feel like you're not doing enough because there's always more to do when you get excited about, oh, I could do this and I could do this and I could do this. And I often laugh with teachers that as soon as we do get an idle minute, all of a sudden we want to redo things. We want to redesign things. We want to reformat things. We want to do things differently. And all that excitement and enthusiasm and passion is amazing. And we have to remember that we are mere mortals. We are just humans. We have a limited capacity. And I think the other thing that's interesting when it comes to teachers and burnout in particular, a red flag for burnout is feeling a lack of control or uh, that you don't have control over what you do. And I know with teachers that can be a factor because, you know, they might, it's quite prescriptive in some ways if you have to stick to a certain curriculum and you have to do things a certain way. And I was actually at an event last night. It was a, a chronic pain related event. But there were a couple of teachers there and then we started talking about burnout and they definitely resonated with that to say that the, the lack of control was something that they really found challenging. And so when that happens, the thing that you can do is to think about what are the things that are within your control? What are the factors that you can influence? You might not be able to influence, you know, the, the curriculum, but you might be able to, you know, put your own spin on other things or set your own boundaries over your time outside the school hours. So it can be quite frustrating if there are things that you can't control, but there are always things that we have influence over. And so in that instance, it's really great. What I'd like to, for people to do if they're feeling overwhelmed is to get it all out on paper, because often that can be, we carry so much around with the, in the mental load, you know, in our brains and writing it all out can be really helpful because then you can have a look and say, okay, I've got well, these are all the things that are on my agenda and that I'm feeling stressed and overwhelmed about. This is something I can, you know, delay for a while. This is something I could delegate. This is something I can get rid of, you know, take off the table. And then you start to feel like things aren't quite as overwhelming as they might otherwise appear. And so having those little strategies as well can be really, really helpful. Yes, yeah, so helpful to get all of those thousands and thousands of thought out of our mind and onto a piece of paper. And I actually did this last week, Sophie, because I had a moment of feeling like I just don't know what to do next. Everything feels important. Everything feels urgent. I just I just don't know what to do. And once I put it down on the piece of paper, I was like, oh, no wonder I am feeling like this. That is a lot of things happening. But then I had the ability to decide what was actually important and what could wait because when it was in my mind, I found it really hard to figure out what could wait and what couldn't. Everything just felt like it was yelling at me. I love that concept where you know it's the urgency fallacy where we feel like everything has to be done really urgently and really sort of straight away but when you put it out on paper then you can start to look at okay well actually the deadline for this project is until the end of June so we can definitely put that one off or you know this project or this assignment I don't need to worry about that until the end of next week so or whatever the dates are and it can really help you you know get a bit of a sense of 
what does need to be done straight away? What, what can I kick down the road? I, I talk about it as, you know, ditch, delegate and delay and, and, and thinking about what categories can you put all your responsibilities in. And then you do feel more of a sense of control. And then you're deciding, you know, what's important for you rather than this sense of everything needs to be done and it needs to be done straight away, which is, which is rarely the case that everything in your to-do list needs to be done, you know, right at that very minute. Yes. And there's something that I've noticed about myself is that when I am writing my to-do list, I've got all the energy in the world and I'm all excited about all the things I could possibly do. And then my to-do list becomes completely out of control. And I get to the end of the day and think, oh, I haven't really done anything. But then I have to almost recalibrate and think, hang on, I was never going to get all of those things done. That was a bit imaginary. Exactly. And sometimes... I think that's a good mindset shift as well to think that the to-do list, it's aspirational rather than something that you have to get to the end of. Because the reality is even if you did get to the end of it, there'd probably be another whole list tomorrow. So that was sort of recognizing that was an important mindset shift for me that, you know, it's okay if you don't get to the end of your to-do list, because even if you do, there'd be another one that would start tomorrow. So instead, it's about prioritizing the things that are going to be of the most value to you that are going to you know, move the dial to where you want to go and have the biggest impact. Because, you know, when it comes to your time and energy and focus, not everything's equal. There are some things that are going to have a much bigger impact on what you do and get you to where you want to go in your business or with your with teaching or whatever you're doing. And so recognizing that, and that's another interesting concept that I like called the big rocks technique, where you think about of all the things that I've got on my agenda, what are the really important ones? You know, what's going to get me where the closest to where I need to go. And that's what needs to go at the top of the list. And often they can be things that we put at the bottom of the list. Prioritizing those things that are going to make the biggest difference at the top of your list really helps. Particularly if you are feeling burnt out, you need to be thinking about, you know, what you can take off the table. What can you get rid of? What can you delegate? What can you, you know, put off for a while? Because for people who are feeling burnout, you know, some of the symptoms are things like, you know, physical and emotional exhaustion. And so you can't be doing a lot. And the things that you do do, you need to be thinking, how important is this? You know, how important is it that I do this right now? And then making sure you're carving out some time for yourself, for, for rest and recovery. You know, asking for support is crucial if you're feeling burnt out. And letting people know how you're feeling. Because if you're feeling burnt out, you can feel quite isolated. And you feel like, you know, that you're not making a difference in the career that you love and you Sometimes people start to question their own abilities as well. You can feel pretty ordinary when you're feeling burnt out. And so asking for support is really crucial, you know, letting people know how you're going. Also, if you're a manager who's managing a team that's burnt out as well, that can be something that you need to prioritize your health so that you can sort of set good examples and be a good role model for your team members as well. And this can happen for, you know, in companies and businesses, but also in if you're in a leadership position in a teaching environment as well to, you know, leaders often underestimate the impact that their behavior has on the people around them. You know, they have, you really have a significant impact if you're a leader and whether you realize it or not, the way you act and the, the standards you set become the standards for your team. And so if you're sending emails from six in the morning, then there's this unwritten expectation that your team members will be you know, reading emails at 6 a.m. in the morning. And so if that's something that that's not obviously ideal for longevity, you need to think about what are the 
behaviors that you want to see in your team and make sure that you're modeling them yourself. And you're looking after your own health and well-being is the number one because that way you're, you're saying to the team, I value my health, I value, you know, feeling good and I want you to feel good as well and be able to be healthy and, and productive in a healthy environment. It's great thinking about that rocks concept and thinking about how one of those rocks is our health. And so often we must just piff that rock away, like don't have time for that, can't be bothered with that. But really, we do need to bring it front and center. So why do we struggle to take care of our health? In the busy world that we live in, I think often we feel we are invincible. We feel we can just keep going. And, you know, I think it's also something that particularly if you've been working very intensively for a long period, you might have been able to do it for a short period. But if things are allowed to continue and you are sort of existing in that with chronic stress and you're in that, your nervous system's in that fight or flight or survival mode for a long period of time, what happens is you, you never end up getting back to a baseline of feeling sort of calm and regulated. And often people talk about feeling they can't switch off on the weekends either or when they go on holidays, it takes them ages to actually relax. And that's a real sign. That's not the way the body's meant to operate and our nervous system's meant to operate. We're meant to, you know, go back to balance and a homeostasis, have, you know, something stressful happens, we respond or react, and then we come back to feeling calm again. But it's when you're in that chronically stressed state for long periods, you know, you're having cortisol, you know, rushing through your system the whole time. And that's when you start to get all the physical symptoms. But it can often be something that sort of sneaks up on you. And it's only when you start to get these physical symptoms of feeling pretty ordinary that you realize, you know, a lot of people realize, wow, I'm feeling really burnt out. And the way out of burnout is, you know, we can't really just talk our way out of it or think your way out of it because so much of it is what's happening in your body. And so, you know, I, I really like the phrase, you know, the body keeps score, which means, you know, the body is really taking notice of what we're doing even if cognitively we think we're fine and we just keep powering through and working really hard and the nervous system's like, wait a minute, I need a break. This is not the way I'm designed to you know, live. And for me, that sort of mind-body connection is just so powerful. And so it's thinking about how can you use your body to rebuild your nervous system, to build in those practices that are going to be protective and help you to feel your best. And so it's things like, for me, it was things like commi really committing to a, a breathing practice and a meditation. And, and the reason that's so powerful is because we know from a physiological level, one of the only ways to, to really downregulate your nervous system is through doing deep breathing where your, your exhaling is longer than your inhale. It's one of the only things that works. But it's not something you can just switch on. If you're not used to doing it, it can be hard to switch it on in the moment. If you've been practicing it and just doing it for five minutes every morning, like I do before you get out of bed, you can access it. You can access that feeling because you're used to doing it. Um, you know, in fact, you know, I had to go and get a blood test this morning. And, and so I just, when I was getting the blood test, I did the same thing. I just took those deep breaths that I've been used to taking every morning to just really be in that relaxed mode. And that's how you sort of rebuild your nervous system. So that's one way. The other way is through, you know, gentle movement. You know, we know all the research about how amazing exercise is for your body. But when you're feeling burnt out, you can't really do a lot because, you know, the last thing you want to be doing is going to the gym and flogging yourself and doing cardio. And, you know, that, that will just make you more stressed. So thinking about really gentle exercise that's going to nourish your nervous system. So 
It might be like for me, I started doing Tai Chi. Other people might love doing yin yoga and things like that. So starting very small. And then the third thing that I really recommend to do is fostering those connections with people that really, you know, lift you up and fill you with joy. You know, there was a really good study out of that was released from Harvard not that long ago showing that the biggest predictor of our well-being is the quality of our relationships. And, you know, those friendships that we have and those connections that we have that when you're with that person and you leave that interaction just feeling so much better. And these are the things we need to prioritize. But often when we're really busy or burnt out, those things go to the bottom of our list. They need to come back up to the top. Even if it's just picking up the phone and having a phone call with someone who you know, you haven't spoken to for ages. Those sort of things are really protective factors that will help you not only recover from burnout, stop you becoming burnt out again. And the other thing that's really important too, Meg, which is some other recent research that's just come out is having an identity outside your job. So, so many people, you know, particularly if you're in a profession, it's the first question most people ask you when they meet you. It's not you know, what makes you happy or, or what brings you joy? The first question they'll ask is, what do you do? Our job becomes our identity. But some research has shown that if you have a, a hobby or a passion or something outside your work, it's nothing to do with your career. This research showed, you know, there were surgeons who were doing salsa dancing. And when they were doing the salsa dancing, they weren't known as doctors and surgeons. They were just known as Joe or Fred or whatever their names were. Having that identity outside your work where people just know you for you rather than, you know, being a teacher or being a doctor is really important as well. And I think that can be something that we forget sometimes when we are so invested in the work that we do. Yes, we can forget that we are a human being before all of our roles. And as you're talking, Sophie, I was thinking about all the school leaders that I really respect and the ones that have the ability to really ride the waves. They don't get stuck in the waves of school life. They have the ability to be with it, but not be in it. And all of those have a healthy life outside of school. They have really healthy connections with people outside. When I talk to them, they talk about school, but then they talk about the holiday that's coming up or something, a show that they're going to. And it's interesting to note that when we're really hyper-focused on our work, it feels like all that becomes blurred. We forget that there's life beyond our workplace. Exactly. And that's so interesting that you've recognized that the school leaders that you've, you know, involved with. And it's it really is so true because you're right about the hyper focus as well. And when we're working really hard, we do become hyper focused on what we're doing. But also, you know, one way to help sort of broaden out your focus and actually help you relax even in throughout the day is if you can, particularly if you're inside and either focused on, on the work you're doing or at a computer, just to build in some of those mini breaks of just five or 10 minutes where you're actually getting outside and trying to look around you. And the reason that works is because it, it sends a signal to your brain that you're feeling safe because you're actually look, looking around and it's one of the main reasons that, you know, when you look at a sunset or a sunrise, that panorama, it's actually the act of looking in a wide panorama like that. It sends a signal through your body that, you know, this, this is a safe and relaxing environment and it helps you relax. One of the reasons that, you know, when you go for a walk or something at lunchtime and, you know, or you're out in nature that you feel so good. It's because of, you know, what's going on and what's going on from a neuroscience point of view as well. 
And so if you can build in just little, you know, five minutes of if you can get out at lunchtime and just get out of the, the inside and, and just have a look around at the, the world around you, from a physiological point of view, that's going to change how you feel and stop that hyper-focus that you mentioned. So these little techniques, they're only small things, but they're really, you know, it's, it's the small changes that you make that you can be consistent with that are actually going to add up to the biggest differences and the biggest transformations. You know, people think, oh, I've got to, you know, radically overhaul everything I'm doing in life if I want to feel better, but it's actually the opposite. Think about the smallest change that you can make that you can stick with rather than some radical overhaul of everything, because that's really not sustainable. But what is sustainable is thinking, what's one small change that I can bring into my life today that I can stick with and and just stick with that one thing you know like even from the people listening to our conversation today think about one thing that we've been talking about that you could bring into your life and stick with that one thing to start with and then if that once you've embedded that as a habit then work on the next one but if we try to do too much too soon that's when we sort of set ourselves up for failure so yeah small and consistent is really the way to go when it comes to behavior change and embedding things so that they become automatic so you don't have to choose to do it, you know, that you just do it as a matter of course. You know, so much of what we do, if you think about all putting your shoes on and tying up your shoelaces, so much is involved with that in terms of the processes is in our brain, but we don't have to take ourselves through each step. We just do it. And that's what we want when it comes to embedding these habits in our life as well, making it so automatic that we don't even have to think, do I want to do this? No, we just wake up and think, right, this is the time I'm going to do my meditation. Or it comes to the, the lunch break and we think, right, this is my time for 10 minutes to where I'm going to get outside and just get some fresh air. And that will build in, it'll help you feel better that day, but it also builds in that protection so that you can keep doing the jobs that you love without feeling burnt out. Yes, I love that idea of generating energy and presence for the day, but also thinking about having some into the future because so often we just think, I've just got to get through today. I've just got to have enough energy to get through today. But we're really trying to build and maintain our health so we have this longevity. And as you're talking about some of these fundamental needs as humans, fresh air, being outside, I was thinking about the contrast between a student's day and a teacher's day Students will wait for recess, they'll go outside, they'll chat, depending on what age they are, they'll play or sit and talk, whatever is happening. Then they'll come back in and they'll go back out for lunch. But for a teacher's day, unless they're on duty, it would be very common for them to go from classroom to classroom to office and probably not eat. And then if that was a student that didn't go outside and didn't eat, we would be having meetings about it. What can we do to support them? But we don't think about that as adults. So you need to think about exactly just because you're a teacher and in that, that leadership role, we still need to meet those basic needs for, you know, fresh air and connection. And even though you, you might think you're going to be more productive if you stay inside and get that work done, there was a really interesting review of studies done by the University of Georgia, which looked at, you know, people who have that tendency to overwork, but they found that you are like that it actually shows that you're generally not more productive despite the fact that you think you probably would be you know working harder than everybody else and it also showed that people scored lower on their individual well-being scores and their family's well-being was also lower as well if you had that tendency to overwork so that's something to really think about you know when we have that you know admirable goal of wanting to work hard but did we really think that 
this was going to be the outcome. No, that our own well-being would be lower and our family's well-being. And there's an interesting saying, you know, in, in 10 years' time, the only people that will remember the long hours you worked will be your children. They're the ones that will remember <laughs> that you weren't around. And that's something, you know, I've got four sons and that's something that, that I was mindful of as well, you know, that at the end of the day, the most important thing is being there for the, the people that you really care about. And if you, you know, obviously you want to be well and happy for your own well-being, but having that extrinsic motivation as well of thinking, you know, I, I don't want to be tired and burnt out for the people that I really care about. And what are the things that I can build into my life to ensure that, that whatever job you've got or whatever career, that you can stick with it in the long term rather than sort of burning out. And because otherwise you're not going to be any use to anybody <laughs> if you're feeling tired. Trust me, having got, been through it myself, you know, you, you do feel pretty crappy and it can also affect you cognitively as well. There was the Sydney burnout study from Professor Gordon Parker. He found that more than a third of people with burnout actually reported pretty serious cognitive difficulties. So this is not just something about being a little bit tired on a weekend. This is people who your prefrontal cortex isn't working properly anymore. You can't take in information. You can't plan properly. And so that's why you want to build in these protective factors so that you don't get to the point of feeling so burnt out that you're getting all these physical and cognitive symptoms. Yes, and being able to acknowledge those whispers and to be able to notice when things go off track. And that study about the family and the impact, that really resonates with me. Last month, I had my biggest professional month that I've ever had, and I was so excited about it. But by the end of it, I was really wobbly, and the family was exceptionally wobbly. It feels like once I go down, the whole family <laughs> goes down. It's just, it just all happens. And my, my children's behaviours are really good indicator of how regulated I am and what's going on in the family. And so I looked back at that month and I looked at how many talks I had, how many commitments I had, and I realized that that's too much. At this stage of my life, it is too much. And so I'll not do that again. But it took that ability to actually notice, to stop, to look at it, seeing that at the start of the month, I was really excited about it. By the end of the month, I was over it and thought this is too much. But then moving forward, what's my new goalposts? What are my new boundaries? How many talks can I do? How many commitments can I have instead of just pushing, pushing, pushing more, more, more? Where once upon a time, I would have just kept going. I would have not have even really noticed. I would have just thought, yes, more. Let's go for more. That's the same. And I really resonate with that, Meg, because, you know, I've recently left my job at ABC to focus on doing more talks on well-being and talking about burnout and talking about mental health and you know I've been really lucky that I've had lots of people contact me wanting to come and give talks but I've also got to be mindful as well that that I don't want to end up feeling burnt out again and so I've got to be thinking what's feasible you know what in an ideal world how many talks would I be doing each week how many commitments will I be saying yes to uh, how many events do I want to attend and be part of because you know, at the end of the day, as great as it is to be popular and in demand, you and I both want to be doing this for the long term. We want to maintain these great, this great opportunity and this platform that we've both got to be able to help people. And that's the thing about offering, you know, information and knowledge to people. It, you know, you and I both feel the same. It's about the value that you're giving the audience. But at the end of the day, you've got to be the one that's able to front up and deliver that information. And you can't do that if you're feeling really tired, if you're feeling burnt out, 
if you're feeling overwhelmed. And so you've got to build in the rest. If we think about it, like from an elite athlete's point of view, they build in rest and recovery as a crucial part of their high performance. They build in downtime. They build in rest. And why do we think as humans, as mere mortals, that we're any different? You know, we just think we can keep pushing through. Yet people who are competing at board at an elite level know that you need that rest and recovery. And we are exactly the same, but we just have to give yourself permission to go, you know what, it's okay to take it easy. And it's really important to, to do that so that you can perform at whatever level you want to perform at. I was with a group of vice principals recently and everyone knows that vice principals are the heart and soul of a school. They get everything done. And we were laughing about this, that concept of what got you here will not keep you here, will not sustain you in this role, that real grind, that real push, that real more, more, more. You won't be able to sustain that because as your work demands get higher, a lot of people have their home demands are getting bigger. And so learning a new way to be, so giving ourselves permission to have rest, to have respite, to have connection with other people, it's a whole new skill set that can be deeply uncomfortable when your identity is work, 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 more, more, more. Exactly. And one of my best friends actually is a vice principal. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And so I hear from her perspective of what, you know, the hours that she works and the commitments and the responsibilities and it's intense. It's really full on. And, you know, you, she's also, you know, two kids and three stepkids. So she's got a lot on her plate, but you've got to be able to build in, like you said, to sort of think got, what got you here isn't what's going to sustain you because that go, go, go a million miles an hour when your workload builds up, it, you'd have to think things differently. And I think having that um, that sort of advice is going to be so beneficial for, for people like that and for all of us really because we all want to contribute. We all want to, you know, particularly if you're in like the caring professions like teaching or healthcare, you want to be able to give back and help the people around you. But you need to think about what am I doing for myself to allow myself to continue to help other people. And without that, that's when you end up feeling really tired and feeling really burnt out and then like I said, then you're no help to anybody at all when you're like that. I love earlier that you shared all these small practices that you have embedded in your life now. And when you look back to that period of your life where you were feeling burnt out and your health was really impaired at the time to where you are now, what do you think has been one of the biggest changes for you? I think the biggest change has been the recognition that all the things that we think are sort of a nice add-on, like, you know, that are sort of self-care, like, you know, building in exercise, like, you know, deep breathing and meditation are actually the fundamentals that we need to think about first before we think about other things. So I've really had that mindset shift of, oh, it'd be nice to do those things. And look, I had written in my books that I've written, I wrote about meditation and how good it was, yet I didn't do it myself. So, but now I realize how fundamental, you know, those things are to feeling good. So that's been the big shift for me. It's, these aren't just a nice add-on to just add to, your, you know, to whatever you're doing. These are the building blocks of a good and healthy life. And you build from that. You don't just add it at the top. So, and I would really just ask people to think about, you know, what is the one thing that you can think about? Just one habit, one new thing that you can think about adopting that's going to help you feel calmer, help you manage stress better. And 
it might be a meditation or a deep breathing practice, I would highly recommend people just try it and give it a go. And just think about it. For me, doing things first thing in the morning is the only way to get it done because, you know, I'm sure, you know, with people with kids and work and things like that, once the day gets going, the, the day just takes over. So for me, scheduling things first thing in the morning means you'll be able to tick it off your list. The thing about meditation and deep breathing, it's very personalized and individual. So there's an amazing free app called Insight Timer and you can download that app and you can listen to, I've got meditations on there that are all free. You can listen to, or you can find other teachers that you might like to listen to and just give it a go and see how much calmer you feel. And it, it really will change you on a physiological level. And so that when stressful things do happen, you can respond rather than react to them. That's the goal. Not, I mean, we can't get rid of stress. Stress is going to be around us, but it's how we respond to it that really makes a difference. And it's, the difference between something stressful happens, you go, okay, you respond to it, and then you go back to baseline and you get on with your day rather than reacting, letting that impact you for the rest of the whole day. And so that's what we want to get to. And that's where these practices are just so fundamental to your well-being. Sophie, thank you so much for giving us this idea of the rock and that our health is our number one rock. And if we don't have that, everything else will slowly fall to the wayside. To wrap up this incredible conversation, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? Yeah, sure. I am inspired by? I'm inspired by people who have challenges and who rise above those challenges through changing their mindset. When life feels hard? When life feels hard, I remember that I've been through difficulties before and I'll get through difficulties again. An underrated skill is? breathing and meditation. And I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation with your listeners and I hope that they get value. Sophie, thank you so much for doing this work in the world and for being a guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast. Oh, beautiful to chat to you and thank you for all the work you're doing for teachers as well. It's invaluable. Sophie has such a calm presence and I love how she highlighted the power of small changes. So often when we want to make big changes in our health, it's out of sheer desperation. And yet, real change requires us to focus on the small things more often. To learn more about Sophie and the wonderful content she shares on social media, see the show notes for more details. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with anyone you know that would benefit from listening or reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn. I would love to know what resonated most with you. To learn more about the ways that I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak, learn about my game-changing wellbeing programs or download my free five-step energy guide. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 88. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week. Until then, take care and take deliberate action.